Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Hi, welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast. I'm Kristen Boulat, and today I'm joined by Caroline Brooks, AVP and Head of Advanced Markets at John Hancock. And Carly is here to talk to us about intergenerational split dollar and the recent decision in the Levine case. Carly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Kristen. As everybody knows, I'm a nerdy tax lawyer, so I was really excited when the Levine case came out, and you and I were chatting earlier. The Levine decision itself is it's actually funny for even non-tax lawyers because Mrs. Levine owned Renaissance fairs and the court latched onto that idea and the opinion and they're always talking about jousting and tilting and the court thought it was hysterical too. So that made reading this decision pretty fun, don't you think? Absolutely. I loved I loved that. We had within our advanced markets team, we all had uh we enjoyed talking about that. And um whoever wrote that opinion definitely had a good sense of humor as well. Yes. And you too can be nerdy tax lawyers. Just read the Levine opinion. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it and talk about the Levine case. Um, and first, set the stage a little bit because we had the decision a couple of years ago in the Morissette case. So how is Morissette different from Levine? Yes. So Levine was a very interesting case. And you mentioned Morissette, which is I think a good place to start because when whenever we're talking about intergenerational split dollar and sort of the cohort of case law that we've seen in recent years, uh, these these situations really are so fact specific, and Levine was no different. So in my opinion, Levine was just one of those situations where the client had an excellent planning team and they did everything the right way, if you will. So it was a very wealthy client. She had built up her fortune over many years, part of that through Renaissance Renaissance fairs. And she started her planning in the 80s. And I think this is an important fact because she planned for many years. She brought in a team of professionals to help with that, including one very trusted financial professional, um, her CPA. And as she continued to build on that estate plan, she did a lot of gifting during that time and did a lot of other planning before the split dollar piece even came into play. So I do think that's important. It wasn't like she just jumped right into the complex, the complexity of the split dollar piece. Uh, and as we're thinking about her engagement with um, with her CPA, who really did become this trusted professional, that was pretty compelling in the court's decision as well as understanding who the parties were and who had decision-making authority. Um, and so, Kristen, if you could contrast that to Morissette, uh, where we had a MEC contract that was economic benefit regime attacked under the gift tax regime. Um, Levine, Levine was a loan regime split dollar a case that was attacked under the estate tax re- regime. And it's also important to note that Levine was in court for a very, very long time. So this was very convoluted. It was very complicated. But ultimately, the tax court held for the taxpayers on all all points. And another notable point of Levine was that they actually accepted the value of the estate receivable in this case without penalties. And that was a, a piece that was settled out of court. And so, like I said, the decision here really hinged on that fact that the investment professional or the CPA had a unilateral power to terminate the policies before G2's death. And they were also bound by a fiduciary duty to protect trust beneficiaries. So think an example of good facts can make good law. And um, and this this case really exemplifies that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that you and I were chatting about is that in Morissette, the court noted that 
there was a business purpose for the split dollar and it was it was seen that that gave the split dollar more sort of credibility and Levine there was a lot of planning that was done but no business purpose so it it doesn't necessarily as we talked about mean that you don't need a business purpose but it also doesn't mean that you have to have one it seems that thoughtful planning is really the key exactly and i think that really is a, a key distinction here from Morissette and even Cahill that we talked briefly about beforehand, where when you do have a legitimate business planning case that can that can be compelling. But as Levine teaches us, it's it's not necessary as long as the other planning I think is um, is sort of you know viable and legitimate. Mm-hmm. And what else did um, the Levine case teach us? Sure. So I think all of these these cases have hinged on a few things. So valuation is a huge component of that. But even before we get to valuation, I think you know, some of the, the key things within Morissette and, and now Levine was sort of, is this split dollar and is this legitimate split dollar in the first place? And so I think the good news here with Levine is that it does confirm that you know this is treated by the courts as legitimate split dollar. And then secondly, the outcome of these cases, and this is really key from my perspective working for an insurance carrier, is that these cases are extremely, extremely fact specific. And so when you have you know, like I said, good facts and uh, a planning team that's brought in and doing gifting and bringing all these other things on the table first for G1, and then starting to look at more complex planning and engaging that team of experts along the way, um, both through her attorney team, as well as very importantly, in this case, the CPA trustee, that can be a favorable outcome for the clients and something that, you know, we look for when we're designing these types of cases. And so has the Levine decision sort of refined John Hancock's approach to loan regime split dollar or intergenerational split dollar? Yeah, so it's a great question. So we know that intergenerational split dollar has been under heavy scrutiny by the IRS. So if the case law teaches us nothing else, it's that these are being looked at by the IRS and they are extremely fact specific. So when when we're looking at these cases from a carrier perspective, we want to first make sure that there's always a bona fide life insurance need, a liquidity need. Uh, we also want to make sure that we're aware that if there are valuation discounts being taken, that we could expect um, that those may be challenged by the IRS. And um, and so as we're designing these types of cases, there are different underlying facts that can be compelling. So like we said, in Levine, there was not a business, uh, a business need, but that is one factor that we could look at. Um, we want to basically see, you know, is this purely an estate tax play or is there some underlying need for coverage, such as a business need that um, could really help and help with with um, with why the client is is moving forward with this type of strategy. So here at John Hancock, I, I guess I'll leave it with the uh, sort of indecisive answer. But you know, we do consider these case by case because they, if the case law teaches us anything, it's that the court looks at these on a case by case basis. And so, um, so intergenerational planning for us hasn't really changed in light of Levine. But I do, I would say that you know, as as we look at these. Um, we'll, we'll be looking at both the underlying need for coverage as well as the policy design itself um, to see if that's something we can support. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Levine and talking about the things that are important to keep in mind when you're doing intergenerational split dollar and how we can sort of use the case um, law, both positive and negative, to design a case that would really be beneficial for the family and, and serve long-term planning goals. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kristen. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. 
Insurance policies and associated riders and features may not be available in all states. Some riders may have additional fees and expenses associated with them. Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion of or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics.